1: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts and as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson, here on the hump day edition of the yard back-to-back days recording should be able to get this thing up for you early afternoon and uh you know we'll see how things go but the reality of it is is uh we're in football mode now a lot of football to talk about today on the show we're not going to talk about baseball at all how about that not going to talk about baseball at all I will talk about it uh probably Friday because we're going to do a uh, post portal wrap-up Uh, one-on-one interview with Chris Simonis uh, Friday or Saturday I guess but uh, you know we'll see how it goes but uh, no baseball today you probably have a little baseball fatigue the uh, portal season been kind of up and down for the Bulldogs but uh, we'll talk more about that uh, later in the week but a lot to discuss listen I hope you guys got out and voted yesterday it's one things that I am very much a proponent of I know, listen, uh, there's so many political experts on Facebook and Twitter, and it's amazing to me. It's amazing. You know, I am just a meager scribe from small-town Mississippi. That's who I am. I got a cool job, got a cool head of hair, got an amazing wife, four incredible kids. But uh, I I know a lot about a little, and a little about a lot. But there are some people out there that uh, I'm amazed. They were... uh, I guess virologists during the uh, the pandemic, they're experts on that, on what we should all do, how we should wear our mask, if we should get uh, you know vaccines and all that kind of stuff, and if we should get twenty of them. You know, they they, they were that, then they shifted you know into uh, climate change experts, and then now all of a sudden they're you know, political columnists. And there's always, uh, you know, certain element of that too that's involved with every topic that comes along. Some of you know everything about everything, and I am envious. I am. I wish I knew as much as uh, many of my Facebook friends did. I do, and uh, so the thing that I try to do when it comes to matters of political standing is I do my own research. I try to find people that align with my values, and then I vote for them. I don't just go in there and vote along party lines. I vote for individuals. I vote for ideology. Um, you know, I got my own political opinions. But the reality of it is, is, I'm not a starch partisan uh, either way. And I'll I I tell you this uh, the guy that is, um, I don't even know what office he ran for, to be honest with you. But there was a gentleman here, I don't know, a couple years ago. I mean, I live out in the Sticks, you know. And, uh, had a guy show up, African-American gentleman, shut up at my door. And uh, as a matter of fact, I was outside. He drove up and came out and told me who he was. And he was running for public office, and and he asked for my vote. And he sat there and visited with me for a few minutes and kind of told me what he was about, about his background. And he was an Tivoha County native. And you know what? I voted for him. I did, because he thought enough of me to come ask me to vote for him. I thought it was kind of a throwback. I said, you know what? I'd like to have this guy representing me. This guy's, you know, so in tune with the community and so willing to get out in his own pickup truck and drive and burn his own gas and come to my house to ask me to vote for him. That guy's worthy of my vote. Of course, you know, I'm not going to just vote for anybody that asked. But uh, after visiting with him a little while, I thought it was important. And uh, some of you, I joked around on Facebook a while back about the uh, paid parking thing downtown. I said, I may, uh, may run for mayor. I have no intentions of running for mayor because I have no designs on getting a haircut and getting a real job ever again, ever. I love what I do, and it is a real job. It makes us real money because we have real bills and real obligations, and we take real trips and have real fun. But uh, people are like, Steve, you'd win in a landslide. I don't know that I would or I wouldn't. But I know that's not a job that I'd ever want. I had to get up every day and go to work. I mean, come on. Come on. Can't do it. It's not a popularity contest. Plus, I wouldn't want to be involved in something like that either. I mean, you remember that uh, that Richard Pryor movie? I guess it was uh, Brewster's Millions. Do you recall that, you guys that are uh, from the 1900s like me? And so he had to go spend all this money in order to get this big inheritance, and uh, so he ran a political campaign, and his uh, campaign the slogan was none of the above, and he won. He won public office by basically being the anti-candidate. But nevertheless, they spent a bunch of money. I guess it's the movie. I think it's right. But anyway, uh, that would kind of be my platform. You know, it's kind of like I remember Ross Perot. Uh, dating myself a little bit. Ross Perot, you know, ran as an independent. And, and I think in many respects, probably got Bill Clinton the presidential election. I, mean, I think Ross Perot split some of the conservative vote. But all that said... Ross Perot did some really cool things uh, as part of the debates and things like that. Like he got up there, he he got up there at the debate and he had this voodoo stick with him. And he goes, I'm using this voodoo stick as he pointed to the charts. He said, because what we've had in Washington is voodoo economics. It was great. It was great. He kind of shook things up. But uh, one of the things I thought he said was rather interesting is uh, about the, you know, at the time, the political climate in the United States He goes, you know, he said the Democrats blame the Republicans. Republicans blame the Democrats, and they're the only ones that are there, you know. And so uh, that's part of the deal with me, And 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 we talked about this yesterday. You know who elects people in the United States? I mean, honestly, do you know who are the most important votes? It's the moderates. That's who it is. It's who gets the moderate vote. I'd like to fashion myself as a moderate, but uh, you know, what happens is you've got some people out there that are so staunchly uh, you know, supportive of their political party, they would vote for anybody. I mean, you could put my dog up there and uh, on, on a particular primary, if he had the right letter next to her name, people would vote for her. No qualifications at all. Mojo, I love you, but you are not fit to run this country. But people would vote for her. But it's just people in the middle. But anyway, it's about as political as we're ever going to get uh, here on this show. But I do encourage you to get out and vote. It's a huge thing with me, it really is. But I think about the sacrifices many people have made to allow us this We you know, we fought a revolution over the right to vote and to be free and to have a say in our political process. And so I encourage you to get out and vote. And uh, even if you vote for the wrong person, get out and go vote. You know, that's an American right. A lot of people around the world would love to be able to have some say in, in, the, in the process, and we do. And, and not just your national elections. I encourage you to get very involved on, on the local level. You know, we've had some pretty serious issues in Starkville over the last several years. And uh, one of the things, and this, you know, again, I said I'm not going to get too political. but One of the things that was important to me is at the time, my wife worked at Octobahaw County Hospital. And uh, there were some people within our county that wanted to uh, sell the hospital. And so after doing some research and talking to some people, I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't think it was a good idea at all. And other people were like, you know what, Steve, it's a drain on the local economy. I also think, you know, some of that is just rhetoric. But all that said, that's about the only time you've seen me kind of step out and discuss things politically on social media because I was very much uh, against selling the hospital. We didn't sell the hospital. And uh, my wife no, long, 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 no longer works for OCH, but I like the fact that we have a community hospital. But all that said, you may feel differently. That's okay. That's completely okay. I may be completely wrong. I don't think so. But I may be. I'm open to that possibility. I think that's one of the things that perhaps separates me from a lot of other people is I am willing to admit that maybe I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the corner of the market on good ideas. But I can tell you this. I love Starkville, Mississippi. I do. I love living here. I want it to be the best place it can possibly be. Uh, There are some some people and some ideology in Starkville that needs to go, to be honest with you. There are some people that hold us back. It's like they wanna just kinda hold everything in place to kinda keep it where it is because they don't want Starkville to really grow and prosper and things like that. There are some people like that. There are some people that are an encumbrance to business in the city of Starkville. True story. And some of you be like steve i can't believe you'd say that well i'm going to say it because it's true it's true and so every community has these type of issues and i encourage you to use your voice uh, to be a part of that and maybe bring change in your local community and yes you know, and sometimes change isn't always the best of things but that's the thing it's you know a few years later we get a chance to do a redo but uh, again i encourage you to get out and vote And uh, I hope that your candidates won yesterday, and those that you didn't, hey, best of luck. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. That is uh, something that we can all agree upon is a great thing, a great thing, Bulldog Burger Company. Doesn't matter who you voted for. Doesn't matter your uh, beliefs about anything. You can just go sit down and have an enjoyable meal and put your feet under the table and get great service at a great price they don't, they, don't, they don't care what you look like. They don't care who you voted for. They don't care what kind of car you drive. They just value, value you as their customer. It's so wonderful, too. I, I go some places, man, and it's like it's like people forget I'm a customer. Like, like, I, like they're doing me a favor by waiting on me. That's just not the case at Bulldog Burger Company. It's exemplary service. Exemplary service because that's what they expect. There is a culture there. It's like, hey, we value our customers, we will treat them as such. And uh, that that is important to me. And every time I go in there, and it's not just because I'm a local celebrity or anything like that, uh, I was going in there a long time before they advertised on this show. That's one of the reasons I agreed to do business with them in the first place. It's a place that I'm proud to partner with because they mirror my values and that's appreciating your customer. That's not to say the customer's always right, at least not with me, they may see it a little bit differently. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that when I'm a customer at Bulldog Burger Company, I feel like that I am treated uh, better than I am most places. So I encourage you to go check them out. Great place to work. If, you're look, if, you, if you just moved to town, you're looking for a job, maybe hit the folks up at the Eat With Us group. Go to eatwithus.com and you can uh, get some information about applying to work and be part of their team. I've had two of my, uh, of my children that have worked for that company and uh, raving reviews from both of them. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everybody around you better looking. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. Uh, you can walk on the wild side like me, do things a little bit different, or just get that Bulldog. Man, you can't go wrong with the Bulldog Burger. Get a chocolate shake to go, maybe a little bread pudding. It's around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. You finish up the local news, you're gonna think, you know what? I should sure wish I had something sweet. Well, they can take care of that for you. Bring that bad boy home with you, and uh, go into bed with a full belly. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet M E A T. All right, let's talk about this coaches poll. We're not in it again, and that's you know. Are you surprised? I'm not, and that's fine. Whatever. I, I, speaking of voting, I went yesterday, and obviously I'm kind of recognizable in this part of the country. I go to vote, and the, the gentleman that checks me in says, hey, do you agree with the experts? And he kind of said that with a scoff and a smirk on his face, that we're going to be last in the West. I said, no, I do not. I do not believe that. He goes, I don't either. I think we're going to be a better football team than that. And I said, I do too. I think the West is going to be good because a lot of parity, but I think we're going to be in the top half of the league. And, uh, you know, and so we start talking about that. Hey, this just gives – me more content opportunities late because I am the kind of person there is some pettiness in the game because I, I am more than happy to say, I told you so. And that's what he said too. He goes, you know what? Let's make it easier for you to come back later and say, I told you so. And that's, you know what? I may be completely wrong about this football team. And the more that I see this team in practice, the more I begin to realize, you know what? I don't think there are a lot of people in the Southeastern conference that realize what we're doing here. There's a different vibe at practice these days not to say it's better or worse than last year it's just different there is an energy in the air i think it's a little bit different too a little bit different so uh yeah we we, we finished the, the poll last year at number 20 and bring just about the entire team back with a few exceptions and we wide receiver room is kind of in transition but goodness we signed so many of them think about that. I mean, we lose some of our uh, more seasoned pass catchers a year ago. I mean, you lose Rai-Rai, you lose Rufus, and God bless Rufus. Uh, You lose Austin Williams, but you don't feel in any way that it's the end of a talent cycle because Jane Wiley is back. Justin Robinson kind of took off late in the year. He's having a great camp. Uh, Jordan Mosley didn't get to play a whole lot. He's around. Xavier Thomas is back, and there's this kid, number five. Maybe you've heard of him, Tulu Griffin. That guy in the slot in man coverage there are going to be a lot of opposing teams in our highlight video at the end of the year chasing number five in vain. So, yeah, we've had some attrition at wide receiver. We're not going to utilize as many four and five receiver sets. We've got a veteran group. And if anything, you give Mike Leach and those guys a lot of credit. They they kind of stockpiled some pretty talented players in that wide receiver room. So uh, I look for that group to have a good year. Really do. All right, so let's look at a Poll. Uh, no surprise here, number one, the Georgia Bulldogs. And they return less than we do. You say, Steve, are you say, no, I'm not saying. They absolutely deserve to be number one. But my point is the standard argument does not apply uniformly to every team in the Southeastern Conference. Georgia doesn't know who their quarterbacks can be. We do. We got a guy starting for the fourth year in a row. We didn't make top 25. Georgia, absolutely number one, period. Not comparing Mississippi State to Georgia. Just kind of criticizing the standards. Number two, the Michigan Wolverines. You know, what do you know? A lot of people are ready to run off Harbaugh. Remember years ago when the big thing was Harbaugh doing satellite camps in the south and things like that, and he was shaking things up and kind of um, wagging his finger at Nick Saban a little bit, kind of picking a fight with the Southeastern Conference? What's paid off for him? It's taken a while. Now they have, uh, you know, gotten over the hump, beaten Ohio State, gotten to the playoffs. But uh, Michigan, number two. Number two. Which means that they, uh, most people expect them to win the Big Ten, as do you and I. Ohio State's going to be good, too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, number three, the Alabama Crimson Tide. As I said on yesterday's show, Nick Saban is at his best when people begin to doubt him, which is amazing. You know, let's let's, be, let's call it for what it is. We are living right now in the time of the greatest college football run of all time. This is better than what you had with Barry Switzer at Oklahoma. It's better than what Nebraska had with Tom Osborne. It's better than what Bear Bryant had in Alabama. You can just look throughout history. Nobody has consistently – maintain the level of success that Nick Saban has for an elongated period of time greater than he has. This is the greatest coach in the history of the college game. Period. And we're alive to see it. And every year, if the are the dynasty's over. Nope. Nope. And I get it. I get it. Alabama doesn't have an incumbent starter at quarterback. I think they'll be okay. The supporting cast around them, exceptional. Number four, Ohio State. You know, Iowa State nearly beat Georgia last year. Went down to the final play, and you just knew when Georgia won that game that they were going to win an national championship. Of course, TCU wins their playoff game. It was exciting, it was. But we all knew Georgia was going to steamroll TCU. Maybe not to the measure they did. But when they got by Ohio State, in many respects, it was kind of the de facto national championship game. The winner of the Georgia-Ohio State game, either one of those teams was going to beat TCU what's amazing, too, is you read this stuff about Ryan Day, there's already some people up there saying, you know what, they better get it together. And, you know, a lot of that is because Michigan's kind of stolen a spotlight a little bit. You ever done that bucket list thing? I have. Wouldn't you love to be able to go to either the big house or the horseshoe and love to see Michigan or Ohio State? I mean, just as a fan of college football, not even have a rooting interest, just go enjoy a great game. Wouldn't that be fun? But it means a lot to those fans. And so, yeah, the winner of that game could conceivably win the National Championship. I'm not ready to crown Georgia. Number five, the LSU Tigers. I think this is a little bit high. We talked about LSU extensively yesterday. I really like this LSU team. But there are some holes in this team. There are. Are they good enough to be number five? I don't think so. I do think they're a top ten team. I think this is a little bit high. But when you look around the league this year, and there are holes everywhere. Right, everybody, everybody, even some of the uh, you know t- traditional national powers, you know, even Alabama and Georgia don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be yet. LSU does, and uh, they have bulked up Jaden Daniels, and people are saying, well, he's got to be more than just a runner. You know, as long as he wins games, do you care how he does it? Yeah. Speaking of that, did you have you seen the Johnny Manziel documentary on uh, Netflix? You should if you haven't, and uh, they even talk about. Uh, you know, the game they beat us in the We Believe year. I don't know if I've ever seen like that anything like that in my life. Uh, but Daniels is not on the level of Johnny Manziel. Don't get me wrong. But he's got some of those same elements in his game that when things blow up, this is a guy that can make you pay. This is a guy that can extend plays and force your secondary to cover a long time. So I, I like Jaden Daniels a lot. I think five is probably a little bit high, and that's okay. Uh, number six, USC. It's funny, I saw some people just yesterday complaining on the USC message boards. You know, I follow the message board geniuses on Twitter. So you see all this stuff up, and uh, they're like, hey, we better figure this NIL thing out because they lost a recruit to Oregon. They're like, hey, Lincoln rally is going to be done if he didn't get this thing figured out. And they're ranked sixth in the country. Not that we don't have some fans at times get rational but uh, USC number six, so obviously the pick to win the pack six or four or two or negative five, whatever it's going to be. Penn State at number seven. James Franklin done a great job at Penn State. just kind of consistently turning out good teams. Are they good enough to win the Big Ten? I don't know because you kind of feel like now that Michigan is rolling again, Ohio State has consistently been a good team. Is the window kind of closing for Penn State a little bit? You know, back... Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y dot com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video Smart Lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get... In 17, they won the uh, Big Ten Championship. Can they get back to that? I don't know. James Franklin's a good coach, and they're consistently doing a good job up there, but can they get over the hump? don't know. Number eight, Florida State Seminoles. You almost wonder if this isn't being done to hype up that first game, right, between Florida State and LSU. Uh, you know, I think LSU will rise to the occasion in that ballgame, uh, but Florida State, you know, people forget – how bad it was at Florida State. And Mike Norvell got there. It was a mess. Last year, the Seminoles won 10 games. That's the first time since 2016 when Jimbo Fisher helped lead them to an Orange Bowl win and finish top 10. The next year, 7-6 had to win the Independence Bowl to manage a winning year. The next year under Willie Taggart, 5-7. Taggart is gone in 19 they finish 6-7, lose the bowl game, and ultimately have a losing season. And Norvell gets in there, 3-6, 5-7. It's taken them three years, but that they finished with a top-10 finish last year in a 10-win season. And so they feel like they're rolling right now, which really, 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 really makes that game against LSU very, very intriguing to begin the year. So it's clear the coaches think they're going to win the ACC. Followed right behind Florida State is Clemson. It's amazing, you know, Clemson – in many respects, I would say Clemson, for you know, for, for much of their history, has kind of been the contemporary of many of our SEC programs that are kind of middle of the pack. They had their big run. It appears that um, while they are maintaining a very solid program, I don't think people fear Clemson the way they did. And the fact that Florida State, um, you know, is uh, him in a coach's poll just kind of shows that uh maybe there's a change in the guard a bit we'll see you know uh number 10 the tennessee volunteers i think tennessee's gonna be good i think that they're putting an awful lot on joe milton early um hinton hooker was legit and uh losing him you're gonna feel that a little bit but milton's good don't get me wrong they're saying he's a superstar i don't know we'll see uh number 11 the washington huskies i, I guess you got to vote somebody else in the pac-12 in here you know, they're going to be a good defensively. They always are. And you, you know, begin to look about this thing. You know, this is a team that could win 10 games this year. Uh, finished up last year on a seven-game winning streak. You know, really exciting team. Number 12, Texas Longhorns. Um, I don't know. I, I I'm not buying Texas. I don't think Texas is back. I, I don't. I don't. And, uh, you know, we'll see, you know. Uh, is Quinn Ewers ready to go? And that's a good thing for Arch Manning. If you've got an established daughter, you're going to throw him out there. But uh, I am just not completely sold on Texas. And I think 12 is a little bit high. Notre Dame at 13, you never know. I mean, you know, it's like Notre Dame, no matter how, what they are or who they are, they're almost always ranked in the preseason, almost by default. Number 14, the Utah Utes. You know, I tell you, the thing about Utah is, you know, Kyle Whittingham has built them into such a solid program. You're almost scared to ever bet against them. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you see them pop up on a schedule, you're like, hey, Utah could give them trouble. Like, Utah could give Florida trouble. And they did last year, even if Florida won the ballgame. But it's interesting. But uh, they've done a great job and uh, have, have played for some big things in recent years. Number 15, the Oregon Ducks. I'll be honest with you, I think there's too much Pac-12 in this poll. Will the Ducks uh, be a great team? I don't know. But you start running through this here. Well, everybody can't be great. Can't be. You know, what's going to happen to Oregon now? You know, uh, you know, people forget. There's been a, lot, been a big change to the guard up there. You know, Bo Nick's not a quarterback up there. We're very familiar with him. You know, maybe that works out for him. But you know, we'll see. A lot of moving pieces to this Oregon Ducks puzzle puzzle. Uh, TCU drops to 16th and finished the year number two. Sonny Dykes done a great job. Man, but man, they lost a lot. They did. They did, and we'll see what happens. I mean, they still got several key pieces back, but um, that's a team that did some amazing things, for sure. Number 17, Oregon State. They destroyed Florida in the ballgame last year. And uh, new quarterback, um, you know, we'll see. But, again, I think there's too much Pac-12 in the poll. Just my personal opinion, I don't think it's the year of the Pac-12. I think the most headlines are going to make is going to be about conference realignment. Uh, I think USC will be really good. I think it will kind of be everybody else. But, you know, Oregon State played a Florida team that um, was not very good and then was short some of their regular players. Um but now nah, I don't. These how does Oregon State rank you or not? Nah, maybe it's just me. Number 18, in Wisconsin Badgers. Luke Fickle is there, one of the best coaches in college football. They finally get him out of Cincinnati, and that was the big discussion too. He's going to wait around for Notre Dame or wait around for Ohio State or whatever? Uh, well, now he's in Wisconsin. Be eager to see what he does there. I think they're asking a lot though to rank him 18th. Uh, number 19, the Oklahoma Sooners. Not a lot of Big 12 in the poll, is there? There's Texas and then, I guess, Oklahoma. Uh, It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens at Oklahoma. Number 20, the North Carolina Tar Heels. I don't know. Whatever. 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 You know, Drake Mays, a good player for them last year. Um, You know, they had a good year for sure. But we'll see. You know, I think it's almost like a... uh, kind of like voting for Skip Berkman, right? Like, no matter what the team looks like, we're just going to, you know, hey, we'll just throw the respect vote out there. 21, Kansas State. Chris Kleinman done a great job there. Um, You know, we'll see. I mean, people forget, you know, that TCU game was epic. It was. And schematically, Kansas State does some things you don't see week in and week out. So that's interesting. Number 22, uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's Kyle Campbell. I don't know who it is that that emails their propaganda to voters, but that person needs a raise. It, it does. When you think about the changes at Ole Miss and the fact how they ended the year last year, how could anybody say, you know what, hey, that's a top 25 team. Is it? Is it? I think they're going to be good. I don't think they're top 25 good. I don't think they're better than Mississippi State. I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. 23 to Tulane Green Wave. Wouldn't that be something, right? Tulane taking on Ole Miss down in New Orleans? That'd be interesting. And I love how they talk about, you know, the, the offense should be potent because of Judkins. You know, I, I think it's, and I love Kinshawn Judkins. I think he is a great player. But you lose some pieces on the offensive line. You lose your only two receivers, and we're going to talk about all this later in the show, but you lose your only two receivers that really had anything uh, as far as vertical threat. Those guys are gone. And, um, you know, shaking up things on defense. Again, trying to change the alignment uh, to get more mass on the field instead of speed, which tells me you're going to struggle against teams that can spread. But we'll see. But Tulane – you got to think Ole oh, missing out athlete too late when they go down there. We'll talk about that later in the year. But um, 24, Texas Tech. It's one of those weird things, too. Like you, it's like sometimes they get toward the end of the poll and they're like, oh, I need to put so-and-so in there. You know, Texas Tech, they're a team last year that had some really good moments and some other ones that were kind of clunkers. 25, Texas A&M. Why? How can, in one breath, you say, okay, I think Texas A&M will bounce back and then not vote for Mississippi State? It doesn't make any sense. Mississippi State is routinely be Texas AM. Texas A&M thinks they should be Alabama, but they're not. Their state are all miss. So they are. The only team in the West not to make a ball game last year, and they're ranked. It's like, we're just, it's like people are like, well, it's surely kind of like the whole Dan Mullen thing with us. Well, yeah, they've been great, but surely this year will be the year they go in the toilet. It's the same thing with A&M. It's like, man, with their resources and their recruiting rankings, surely this year they'll get it all figured out. Surely this year. If you're not seeing what Jimbo Fisher has done the last several years of his career, take out the 2020 year. That's, that's the outlier. Look at what A&M has done or hasn't done during his tenure at A&M. I mean, he is—he's the new Gus Malzahn. Would we not agree? They're at best in an eight and fourteen. It's who they are. Well, let's rank them. Why are we ranking them? Well, I like Texas A&M. Oh, do you? Yeah. I think a lot of people project them to be much better than they truly are. And that's fine. Again, we'll look back at this and say, you know what, hey, remember when? It's almost like these polls and uh, all these lists. Looks like there's no validity to any of this stuff. I mean, of course, you know we, we rank the teams at the end of the year, and uh, even even that is one of those things too that um, it's really not worth what it used to be. Now, of course, we'd love to be ranked. When we've got ball games, we will be ranked. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that, you know, this again, anybody can make a list. And that's what this is, is a glorified list. I remember when those rankings really mattered. Nowadays, when uh, you know, you've got the playoff and you've got all these bowl opportunities, um, you know, you post a winning season, you get a good bowl game somewhere, win some rivalry games, you feel like you've had a good year. No matter what the number is next to your name. But the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, The poll is out, and there's a reason we go play the games. That's what we're going to do here in uh, just over three weeks' time. But I think the poll is, uh, again, uh, I think you get outside the top ten, you can kind of shake it up, and there's not a lot of differences, especially in the back ten. But, again, think about the teams from the SEC West that are ranked. There's four teams that are ranked. Auburn's not ranked, nor should they be. Arkansas is not ranked, nor should they be. And you look at Texas A&M with a losing record. You look at Ole Miss, who went 8-5 and five last year. And then, of course, you look at OSU and look at Alabama. Well, those two make sense. But Mississippi State beat Ole Miss, ended the year with a golden egg and a bowl trophy and a top-20 finish. Ole Miss had none of those things. And Ole Miss loses more pieces than Mississippi State does. Texas A&M did not make a bowl game, had a losing record, and their coach enters the year on the hot seat. So how can you in any, any sound thinking say, you know what? Hey, State and Ole Miss are both, excuse me, A&M and Ole Miss are both better than Mississippi State and deserve to be ranked higher. It's ludicrous. And uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the year and being able to say, you know what? You guys are wrong again. All right, time for today's top 10 list. is always, brought to you by clotheswithblair.com. That's six, excuse me. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Got the phone number pulled up, so I almost gave you the uh, web address and the phone number at the same time. We have time, Steve. Slow down. You have to do everything at once. But speaking of the phone number, Blair's phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Why do I need the number, Steve? Well, you may have mortgage needs. Maybe you need a mortgage. Maybe you need to get some cash out. Maybe you need to consolidate some debt. I don't know your situation. But whatever situation you're in, reach out to Blair. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. You know, I'm a person that's constantly in motion. You know, constantly got something going on. Always a project here, project there. And so anytime that I can kind of delegate something to somebody else and say, hey, can you handle this for me? It makes my life easier. That's what Blair Chandler can do for you. You got all these irons in the fire, but you know what, you've got some mortgage needs. Maybe you're trying to buy a house. Well, make it a lot more worry-free by working with a guy that's got 22 years of experience and has been top 1% in the country in close ratio back to back to back years, right? So then you can worry about other things. Maybe you can worry about buying new furniture. You can worry about, you know, putting together a kid's college fund, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what your needs are or what's on your plate, but I know this. I know when you trust the care of your mortgage lending needs to Blair Chandler, they're gonna get taken care of. More times than not, they're gonna get taken care of. And, and again, ask him too, again, about the uh, the, whole, the, the new state law that allows an 18 year old uh, to sign on a mortgage, long loan provided you co-sign with them to help them build some additional credit, some adult credit. So when they graduate college, Uh, Maybe you sell it off. Maybe you give them the equity. Maybe you split the equity. Maybe you let them just assume the payments on the property. I don't know. But I know it's an interesting proposition. Blair can fill you in on all that. And again, visit closewithblair.com. I think Blair will like our top 10 list today. I do. Blair is one of these insufferable people that uh, jam band people. You know, he's like, I don't understand, man. I don't, I don't get it, man. They don't sell a lot of records. What? I'll tell you why. It's because the the songs just aren't very good. And there, there's a reason that people have to get high to go hear these bands play. I'm just, I'm gonna get a text from Blair later. Trust me. I'm gonna get a text from Blair later. Steve, you know, it's such a low blow. What's well, true? It's true. Him and B.J. Cummings, both these big jam band fanatics. They don't understand. There's a reason everybody there is high. Period period nevertheless this is a band that um from the early 90s that uh many of you know and love and uh maybe hadn't heard as much from as of late it's been uh it's been a few years they put a full album out they did do an ep here a few years ago and supposedly it's going to be a two-part ep and eventually merge into an album because nowadays it isn't like it was back in the day where you had to go in the studio and complete the old uh, writing process. Nowadays, people release singles periodically and then group them as an album later. Much different process these days. We're talking about the Counting Crows. And I'll tell you, when the album August and Everything After came out, I said, man, where has this been in my life? Man, these guys are really, really good. And so my top 10 list is going to have a lot of songs uh, from August and Everything After. We'll have some from Recovering the Satellites, The Desert Life, uh, you know, Hard Candy, we'll have a few of their albums represented here. They were in Tupelo a while back. Maybe you guys went and checked them out. But they were one of the better alternative rock bands of the 90s. Kind of become mom rock in many respects. I don't mean that derogatory. But um, they didn't have the edge that some of their contemporaries did, and they've had some staying power. Because it's girls' night, guys, and we're going to see the Counting Crows. Me and all my friends, we're going to put on our... our extra makeup, and we're going to go to dinner, we're going to see the Counting Crows, and so it makes for a very fun and safe girls' night or date night. They're very radio-friendly, family-friendly, but the Counting Crows, and uh, give Adam Duritz a lot of credit. He dated both uh, Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston, one of the only guys that we know in recorded history to pull the swap. It's true. Uh, Much respect to Adam. All right, number 10 is uh, one of the more recent tracks for, for them. I don't know if you uh, if you if you've know this album. Many of you, it's like, hey, Steve, when they stop playing on the radio, I quit listening to it. Uh, but here, about a decade ago, they released an album called Somewhere Under Wonderland. You can check that one out. A couple of really good tracks on that one, too. Uh, I went with Scarecrow. Scarecrow is probably my favorite track off this album. I think it's a good vocal delivery from Adam Duritz. And, and granted, we've all lost a little bit since the 90s. But uh, it's a good track. I think a good place to start. Number nine from the album Hard Candy. Matter of fact, our next two tracks will be from Hard Candy. Uh, a duet in many respects. I guess kind of featuring Cheryl Crow. It's the great track American Girls. Number nine on your list. American Girls. Number eight. It's Holiday in Spain. I, I'll admit, as much as I like this song, I love the guitar on this. I love the intro on this. It does kind of bother me. He talks about going to Mexico, and then it's like holidays in Spain. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of out of context, but uh, I'm not going to judge the guy on his geographical choices when it comes to music, but the holiday in Spain, great track. Number seven, and I suspect the rest of the way, you're going to know every one of these songs, and we may disagree on the order, and that's okay. We can still love one another and be friends. But if I see you in the grocery store, you can walk up and say, hey, Steve, I listened to the Counting Crows list, and i disagree with number one. Okay, cool. And we'll still be friends we'll shake hands and I'll thank you for listening and I do appreciate you more than you could possibly know but number seven it's round here and probably my favorite line in that song is round here we stay up very very late kind of reminds me of uh, being in addiction to be honest with you number six we're not going to hang around and talk about addiction today we're going hanging around from the album the desert life is your number six track hanging around that was another radio hit for them it's like all of a sudden the counting crows are back and that was one of those, um, one of those songs that just kind of hit the playlist. The next thing you know is that this feelings of nostalgia. is like, hey, I'm glad those guys are still playing and touring. Let's turn that up. Number five, and many people would say this should belong in the top three. And I can get down with that. But it was so incredibly overplayed. I mean, like marching bands play this song. It's accidentally in love from the Shrek 2 soundtrack. Did you know that? Did you know it's where you heard it first? Accidentally accidentally love the opening of Shrek 2. All right, number four, love this track, man. Love everything acoustically about it. I think they absolutely nailed the mix on this track. And again, we're, we're going back to August and everything after. It's Rain King. I love the vocal delivery, love the song itself lyrical content is good it's just one of those free songs that makes me happy man you know there's some songs out there to just you put on it immediately put you in a better mood this is one of those songs for me Ranking number four number three and maybe if i wasn't a college baseball fan i wouldn't have this one as high i absolutely love this song and every time that we have made it to the college world series this becomes part of my everyday playlist it's omaha somewhere in middle america man i absolutely love that track and I, it begins to make me wonder, you know, what's the genesis of that? Why Omaha? But uh, it's one of those things, too, that everywhere you go in college baseball, everybody's game day playlist has Omaha on there. So it's guaranteed to be a hit regularly and get a lot of downloads because of people associated with college baseball. But I love Omaha. I love the, the track. I love the town. I love making the trip up there. Number three, Omaha. Number two, and this is where I think, you know, this is where we kind of separate with a lot of people because a lot of people my number two song is probably number one for you and i'm okay with that and i'll give you my reason for number one when we get there but number two is a long december from the recovering of satellites album which is absolutely fabulous but it's like every year around december i think about that around the new year it's it's, it's a long december but there's reason to believe maybe this year will be better than last you know. Uh, It is a timeless classic to me. Absolutely love this song. And it's one of those things, too. I mean, you know, we all go through something in life. And there's sometimes you look back over the years and say, man, that was a really tough year. Last year was a really tough year for me. It was a really difficult year for me. Uh, And it's well documented. I mean, you know, just being away from Dana so much during the year. it certainly made me appreciate the fact that uh, I never want to be divorced. I don't want to be single again. Uh, I love her. I want to be with her. But I'll tell you, I, mean, I remember putting a song on uh, on New Year's Eve and, uh, you know, just kind of thinking, man, I'm so glad that we kind of get the chance to start again. And my wife is one of these kind of people, too, that New Year's Eve is one of her favorite holidays. She's always like, you know, we get another chance. You know, uh, she is a lot more melancholy about it than I am and sentimental. But this year, I guess maybe I was. But uh, a long December was a big, big one for me. And um, maybe it is for you in your life. It's a great song. It is a timeless classic to me. But number one, it's the song that introduced the Counting Crows to the world. It's Mr. Jones. And uh, I want to be Bob Dylan. Don't you? Another one of these just up-tempo, vibey songs that just kind of make you happy. You put it on, I mean, it's like most of this Counting Crows stuff. You know, it's very optimistic. And yes, they've got some deeper and dark and morose type stuff. Everybody does. And the, the same palette of emotions for all of us. Just some more vivid than others. But the Counting Crows is kind of a good timing band. And I don't mean good timing in the partying aspect. You know, we're out here celebrating decadence and, and uh, hedonism and things like that. There's just an air about the Counting Crows. It just kind of puts you in a good mood. It does for me. Maybe you don't like them, and that's okay. But this is a band we hadn't done, and I hit Roy up. I said, you know, I feel like I've been a little bit niche lately and uh, I want to make sure that we do something, and yes, that's my pronunciation. I want to have a little flair in my life. What's life without a little whimsy? But Mr. Jones, it's just one of those songs, you put it on, and maybe it's the fact that I remember where I was and what I was doing in life, and life seems so much simpler, and maybe that's one of the reasons that early 90s music uh, maybe takes me to that place. You know, it's the ultimate time machine, right? You put it on, you're like, I remember, man, sitting around and Playing Trivial Pursuit, drinking coffee, and listening to this album. Every every song stood out to me. I know today everybody's a playlist listener, right? I mean, it, I mean, it's like like the days when everybody used to buy a CD and cassette singles, right? I've always been an album guy, and even though I may not like but one or two songs on an album, I like to hear everything the artist has to offer. They went to all the trouble to write and record and perform these songs, and they put them in this nice little format for me to listen to. I'm going to listen because I may find something that I love even more than a single, right? Uh, so that's how I go through music, and that's one of these albums for me. Start to finish, I could probably, and maybe we do this, Roy, maybe we put together, you know, like a top 10 favorite 90s albums, and I give you my favorite song off each album, uh, you know, whether it be the Jim Blossom's New Miserable Experience. Man, what an, what an impactful album that was for me. I absolutely loved that album. And I had gotten really dis, disenfranchised, I guess, with so much of the MTV machine you know, and all of a sudden there was so much and there was force feed and all this and you know, the, the uh, Headbangers Ball generation kind of got very cookie cutter. And so we needed something fresh. And there are so many bands from the early 90s that were not grunge that are still playing. And nobody really talks about that anymore. But maybe we put a list together of that because you guys always respond well to early 90s rock. And uh, so we'll get that together. We'll see. We'll talk to Roy about that. Roy is kind of like my sounding board when it comes to these lists. And sometimes I'll just say, hey, I'm doing this band today. Like we did Killswitch Engage. He goes, okay, I've never heard of them. I sent him their cover of Holy Diver, and he's like, ah, that's good. Yeah, it is. But this is one that I think everybody knows. Everybody in the world has heard something from the Counting Crows at some point, whether it be Accidentally in Love or Mr. Jones or or whatever. But uh, there's just a lot of feelings of nostalgia about so many of these bands and albums, and I'm so eager to share it with you guys. Um, on the show if you have ideas for the top 10 list reach out let us know you can find roy at dogmatic67 that's dawgmatic 67 on twitter and spotify and if you follow him on spotify subscribe over there then our, our great list just kind of show up for you yeah that's cool right and i'm on all forms of social media at scout steve r be sure and check me out if you're not following me on twitter or x whatever we're calling it these days what are you doing with your life all right, we've got an announcement to make here on the Boneyard. I believe this is the first uh, announcement. Just off the phone was Miss Kathy Brown at Campus Bookmark. And she tells me we have big news coming up in just six days. August the 15th at noon, Mississippi State Trademark and Licensing will make the official university reveal of the new Vintage Vault logo for this year. Now Not going to tell you what the logo is, but I'm going to tell you, it's something you guys have been looking forward to for a long time that's right and while you're there you're going to be able to purchase merchandising with the new vintage vault logo on there t-shirts hoodies glassware license plates everything your heart desires they're going to have that logo slapped on and you're going to be able to buy it and in addition to that get a free gift with purchase. How about that? Think about that. You're going to get the logo you want on pretty much any item that you like well before the season and get a free gift. Go by and see their smiling faces August the 15th at noon. It's important that you're there. If you're in town, it's a good time to go take a lunch break and you can be the first in your family or circle of friends to have the new Vintage Vault logo merch. Also visit Campus Bookmart on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR to save on shipping. All orders over 75 bucks free shipping with promo code BSR, which stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. Uh, I plan to be there uh, for the reveal. And so you can come by and uh, see me. And if you hadn't bought a book or two and you'd like to do it, I'll be there and uh, maybe we'll sign some books too. But uh, come by, check it out, August 15th at noon at Campus Bookmart here in Starkville, Mississippi. Many of you, I know it's a work day and you can't get there, but if you're a local person and you've been so eagerly anticipating buying the merchandise with what is your favorite logo, you'll be able to do that in person, August 15th at noon, Campus Bookmart here in Starkville. All right, let's uh, get to a couple other things. Let's talk a little bit about uh, fall camp here for a few minutes before we uh, get into our Ole Miss preview. Right, you know what, let's just go ahead and do Ole Miss now because I want to end on a Mississippi State note. All right, let's take a look at Ole Miss. I many of you have been uh, eagerly anticipating this, but uh, I think Ole Miss is going to be pretty good. I don't think they're a top 25 team. Are they a winning program? I think absolutely, um, but it's going to be interesting. And here's the deal, too. You can say what you want to about Lane Kiffin. Yes, he's a little bit awkward at times. But, um, you know, I, I know people want to say he's unlikable. I mean, it's hard not to like him in some respects. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't like him when they're beating us. But uh, he is an interesting guy. And he's a guy that knows offensive football, which is interesting because of the fact Monty Kiffin is his dad, which is a guy that kind of revolutionized uh, defense with the Tampa 2. But the reality of it is, is that this is an almost football team that should be pretty good. Uh, I don't think they challenged for the West. I think they probably finished middle of the pack in the West, I think, with a winning record. Uh, but let's take a look back at uh, last year's season. You know, they got off to that 7-0 start, and uh, I think those of us that know anything about football realized that they were going to fall. Those that uh, are scared of Ole Miss didn't think they would. They did. But let's uh, let's run it back, as the kids like to say, in 2022. Interesting year. And uh, some games you look at and you say, man, these guys, how'd they win a game? And other games you look at and say, you know what? They were close. They got by Troy, which was a really good non conference win for them. You know, Troy was a team that um, finished in some people's top 25 ballot. They won their league. Uh, 28 to 10 is your final, but uh, Jackson Dart didn't have a great game. They got it going the next few weeks, though. Destroyed Central Arkansas out of Conway, as they should. 59-3. 59-3. They blistered Georgia Tech, 42-0. And what a great time to catch Georgia Tech, right? Good scheduling by Ole Miss. Kind of catch them at the tail end of the Jeff Collins era. They slipped by Tulsa, 35-27. And that was a much better game than people anticipated. You know, C. or Junior is not coaching receivers at Tulsa. They get Kentucky, 22-19. And, again, we've talked about this game extensively. The game was in Oxford. Kentucky's driving down. For at least a game time field goal, possibly the game-winning uh, drive at Ole Miss gets pressure on Levis. He fumbles. Ole Miss recovers. Ball game over. I think Ole Miss and Kentucky pretty much even last year, to be quite honest with you. And the fact that the game was in Oxford was, you know, good thing for Ole Miss. Vanderbilt they get those guys fifty-two twenty-eight, and that was in Nashville. It's a shame these rivalry games are going away. Uh, they get Auburn 48-34. The difference in this ball game. Give Len Kiffin a lot of credit. The difference in this ball game. Is, I mean, it was a seesaw affair, and then Kiffin dials up the onside kick. all Miss recovers. They go down and score. Finally, get some separation. Put the game away, and ultimately win the game by 14 points, 48-34. You can say what you want to. It was a great call, and under the circumstances, considering you couldn't stop them, it was a very, very intelligent call. At LSU, they lose 45-20. At a they slipped by 31-28. And that's a game, too, that uh, you know really boiled down to one or two plays. But winning on the road in the SEC is tough. But uh, that was Wegman's first start uh, at AM. and m uh, give the kid credit. He came out there and played as best he could. Alabama survives on the final play of the game against um, Ole Miss, a big fourth down stop there. I guess maybe they had to kneel one time. But uh, 30-24. to And, again, give Kiffin some credit. Alabama wasn't Alabama last year, but they're still Alabama. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of tradition at uniform. They're going to recruit at a higher level than you. So give them credit. They have played Alabama a lot more competitively than we have. We've played Arkansas better than they have, but Arkansas got them 42-27, and um, there was that game was was over early. <laughs> it was it was one of those games too. It's like you look up in the third quarter. It's like my gosh, this thing is still going on. And then, of course, State wins uh, 24-22, and then they lose the bowl game 42-25 out in Houston in the Texas Bowl. And so in the year with uh, losing four of the last five after opening up 7-0 and uh, had the same regular season record as Mississippi State, and again, State finishes with the golden egg, with the bowl trophy, and a top 25 finish. Ole Miss has none of those things, but still a decent year. But their fans were disappointed after the way they started. But again... They didn't really play anybody with a pulse, at least from a talent standpoint. Uh, the first four games is like, oh, it's 4-0. And then you get a very pedestrian Kentucky team, and you get Vanderbilt. It's Vandy. I know it's a rivalry game for them, but it's still Vandy. And then you get that Auburn team that was in the middle of uh, getting ready to fire Brian Harson. And so they really didn't play anybody. You, you look at a 7-0 streak, 7-0 is 7-0. But when you look at it in its proper context, there's kind of an asterisk up there right and then down the stretch you know the only team they beat was the only team in the sec west to have a losing record and they win that game by three but they won it uh, but the reality of it is this is an old miss team that i think uh really missed some opportunities last year but i think there was a lot of smoke and mirrors with that midseason perception of this team now they're losing a lot uh, now, Jackson Dart, there's all this talk about there's a quarterback competition. If they start anybody other than Jackson Dart, I'll be surprised. And that's not to say they don't have some other viable options. They do, right? They do. But I think Jackson Dart last year proved to be a better athlete than people expected. And he is a guy that's kind of a plush runner. You know, he's not Jaden Daniels, but he is a guy that's athletic enough on third and fourth, third and five to make a play when things break down. Uh, the kid can play. And to, for people to suggest otherwise, it's just kind of being too much of a homer. But uh, they bring in Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard. Walker Howard is the future. Can Spencer Sanders uh, make it interesting this year? Could be. You know, you, you want to make Jackson Dart work for it, right? I mean, competition is a good thing. But, you know, the biggest losses here is you know, Malik Heath and Jonathan Mingo. Not to mention a couple guys on the offensive line. But, you know, Heath and Mingo – You know, they didn't have a lot of depth at wide receiver, period. But Malik Heath, 971 yards and five touchdowns. Jonathan Mingo, 861 yards, five touchdowns. That's 1,800 yards of the passing game has to be replaced. Jordan Watkins was a nice complimentary receiver. Uh, 40 snags for him, 449 yards. Dayton Wade is a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. Had a big touchdown in the Egg Bowl. Guy's really, really quick. They like to use him in a running game, too. Michael Trigg was the guy they were all excited about. He ends up getting dismissed from the program. Uh, so he's gone. And that's 17 more catches, 156 yards. And so you start working this thing down and begin to realize the depth and lack of production at the wide receiver position, something that had to be addressed. Well, they feel like they've done that uh, in the NCAA transfer portal. You know, we'll see. Uh, you bring in Louisiana Tech's Trey Harris, a guy who was an all-conference selection. Uh, Chris Marshall, a guy that came in from Texas A&M. And, uh, you know, a lot of issues. And then he gets uh, dismissed at all Miss. And, that, and that's a guy, a talented guy, a position of need. So, again, you think you've got it all figured out. And then one of the guys you bring in as a replacement is now gone. So the depth at wide receiver is a major concern. It is. That is a major concern. And one of the things that I think made Quinchon Judkins so good last year it's because of how they use the running game to kind of complement the passing game. You know, it's like they ran so much kind of uh, – that's where I give Jackson Dart a lot of credit, kind of executing his fakes. So he's a guy that's very, very crafty handling the football. And I don't know that I expected that. Uh, I, I Again, and it sounds like I'm an all Miss guy here. I like Jackson Dart. I, I think in the Dan Mullen offense, I think he would have really been something, right? But I think he fits what Lane Kiffin wants to do. So they've kind of built the scheme around him. Uh, good fit for what they want to do but the reality of it is is you know what are teams going to do when you can't consistently throw the football down the field the way you could last year now schematically it'll be the same but you won't have near the same level personnel you do have arguably the best running back in the southeastern conference you could certainly make that case 1,567 yards last year but again a lot of that too is because of the fact they always had linebackers in conflict and they had a pretty good offensive line at times last year especially running football. Uh, So all of that kind of works well for itself. But, you know, what do you do? Do you sell out to stop the run? Make Dart be a quarterback? Make Dart uh, throw the football down the field to some inexperienced wideouts? I mean, that kind of remains to be seen. And you begin to think about this wide receiver group, too. If they have one injury, uh, it could be very, very impactful on the season because teams will just kind of stack the box. And Judkins is a dude. I mean, give Lane Kiffin a lot of credit. If they sat on this guy, he sat out there in Alabama and nobody really got on him, and then they had to pay him in the offseason. And, you know, it is what it is. But the, to suggest a guy can't play, that I don't, I don't know if you could find even the most ardent Mississippi State supporter that would suggest that. But uh, the offense will be built around Jackson darts, dual threat ability, and Quinchon Judkins' ability uh, to get north and south. Interesting, to say the least. Uh, defensively, they bring in Pete Golding and, uh, let's be honest about this. All due respect to Pete. I know Pete's got a lot of connections in Mississippi. Uh, he studied under Nick Saban. It was the Nick Saban deal, right? It was a Nick Saban scheme. So should they be better? Well, schematically they should be, they should be. Uh, but you know, last year they ran so much and we touched on this earlier, Three, two, six type stuff, and, and that's really to combat the spread. Right when teams are spreading you out, running four and five wides, running a lot of stretch plays and stuff, you got to get speed on the field. You're going to see a lot more four-man fronts this year. You're going to see you know some four-three cover two at times and things of that nature. But uh, the reality of it is, is this is uh, you now this is a group that lost some good players. They returned some good players too, uh, and that's going to be interesting too. What can Golding do with the existing talent? Can he mold them into at least a serviceable defense? You know, we'll see. You know, there's some guys that have moved on. And, um, you know, they went in the portal a little bit. You know, they got, uh, you know, Louisville linebacker Monty Montgomery. Should be a good Mike linebacker for him. You know, what's Git Perkins going to do? Does Git Perkins have to play as a freshman? You know, athletically, I think he's gifted enough right now. But, you know, to, to embrace a new position – that requires a lot of decision-making, that, that may be asking a bit much for a true freshman. I think Git Perkins is phenomenal. I, I do. And I wish he'd have been a Bulldog, but he's not. And We didn't expect him to be. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that uh, I think he will be a really good player at Ole Miss, provided he stays healthy, because I don't have any question about his work ethic or his talent. I think he's going to be a really good player. But this front was not good last year. They were decent when it was time to line up and rush the passer, but they were not good at stopping the run. When teams lined up and said, you know what, we're going to come right at you. We're going to make some things happen. We're going to rattle your cage a little bit. They had trouble with that. They did. Uh, You know, Tavius Robinson had a big, big year for them last year. And um, he's gone. Seven sacks last year really gave Will Ryder some trouble last year for sure. Uh, Cedric Johnson's back. It was a good player for him last year. Pretty solid year, 32 tackles. But, uh, but this front, again, they're going to be as good as that front can be. And maybe adding that fourth down lineman makes a difference for him. Yeah, but we'll see. But, again, it's a new coordinator with a new scheme. It's not like it is at Mississippi State, where you have Zach Arnett kind of handing the reins over to his protege. You're bringing a guy in. Yes, you know the guy, but you've got players that were recruited for a different scheme. Do you have the personnel, even with these portal transfers, to make a difference? That's going to be the interesting. That's, that's really going to determine Ole Miss' season, is can they be better on defense? Uh, A.J. Finley is, is gone. That was guy, a really good player at Ole Miss for, for a while. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, they went out and got a couple guys in the portal in the secondary. DeAndre Prince, great player at corner. But we'll see. You know, they Like Mississippi State, they turned to the portal and went out and signed uh, a bunch of defensive backs to kind of rebuild that secondary. You know, and we'll see how things progress with them. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be one of these years where Ole Miss is going to be able to run the football. And if they can stop the run, at least slow it down a good bit, they'll be a solid bowl team. I don't think there's any question they make a bowl game. Uh, but whether that's in Tennessee or Florida, that kind of it's going to depend on, on defense and on Pete Golding. There's so much of that that I think is important to understand when uh, you look at this Ole Miss thing. It's like it's easy to get caught up. Hey, this Kenjon Judkins kid is a superstar. He absolutely is. There is no disputing that. But what are you going to do when you can't stop anybody? And let's say you have a couple of stops. Let's say you have a turnover and you get off schedule. Next thing you know, you're down a couple of touchdowns late in the ball game, and you kind of got to get out of your offense a little bit. But early in the year, it's going to be one of these things people are going to look at and say, you know what, hey, they're off to a great start, and they should be. Non-conference schedules manageable for the most part. Uh, that Mercer game, you know, that should be a game where you know you get everybody pulled, uh, you know, first drive of the third quarter and kind of let the young guys get out there. And and I hate to call them casualty suckers, but that's kind of what it is. You want to avoid getting injured in that first ball game, and so let the young guys get out there and play a little bit, save some wear and tear on your veterans. Kind of a tough ball game. Uh, September 9th. Week number two, they're going to head down to Tulane against a, a Tulane teams Expect to be really good in their league. You know, can Tulane get them? I think they can. I don't think they will, but it's certainly possible. And we're not going to know, know a whole lot about uh, Ole Miss after that game against Mercer. I mean, that that should be an absolute cakewalk, right? I mean, they should go up there, put up 50 points with, without any trouble whatsoever. And you'll probably play in multiple quarterbacks in that ball game. Uh, the Tulane game, going on the road, I mean, we've been to these situations before. You remember at the end of the Jackie years, we went down there and played Tulane in the Superdome, got beat on a late field goal. Justin Jenkins had a big ball game, but we didn't play really well in the game. But guys, Tulane went 12-2 and last year. 12-2. and two. You look at the schedule, you say, you know Steve, I don't know. Yeah, they, guys, they went to the Little Apple and beat Kansas State. You know, one of their two losses came to Southern Miss last year. Yeah. And then they beat the University of Houston in overtime. You know, so when you look at this and you start thinking, you're working your way through this, is Tulane capable of winning this game? They absolutely are. Will they? I don't know. But you know what? I bet Lincoln Riley and the folks at USC – they probably say, hey, Lane, be careful. Because people forget, in the Cotton Bowl, Tulane, that crazy comeback in the end, wins the game 46-45. And you know as well as I do, they will be up to have an SEC team in their own backyard. They will be as raucous a crowd as the Green Wave can put together. All right, the next week, Ole Miss will uh, host Georgia Tech. Yeah, listen, there's a, there's a change there. Again, so much there. And it's a, it's a program that has not won a lot as of late. So You, you like Ole Miss here. Then you go to Alabama. Yeah, then you go to Alabama. And that's one of those things, too. Playing in Tuscaloosa is never, you know, never an inviting proposition. And uh, I don't think Lane Kiffin will be saying things like, uh, get your popcorn ready this year. Then they host LSU. And so you begin to think about that. And it's a very, very difficult opening to the SEC schedule for Ole Miss again three winnable non-conference games and then you get the projected number one and number two team in the sec west if you could somehow get a split there it sets up really well for you i just don't think they will i think they'll drop both of those games then you get arkansas these teams are really similar really really similar teams that want to run football teams that are kind of shaky on defense And so you saw what happened last year in Fayetteville because Ole Miss just simply was powerless to stop them, absolutely powerless to stop them. I expect this game to be a little bit similar. I also know that it's K.J. Jefferson's last year, so he'll come out there and uh, play with some fury. I actually like Arkansas in this game because I think they're more comfortable doing what they do. And I think the fact that they're playing after – playing Alabama – LSU, then Arkansas, Arkansas kind of catches a break in the schedule, even though they have to travel to Oxford to get Ole Miss after two very physical ball games. Then you go to Auburn, and this is a scary game if you're Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze is down there, and you know he's gonna be able to scheme some things up, and again you start thinking about the fact that our Arkansas game is gonna be another bloodletting two, no matter what the final score is, the physical toll. Three consecutive weeks against three of the more physical teams, especially from a running standpoint. then you got to go play Auburn that is not a good situation for Ole Miss it's not and you know freeze will be up have the kids up to play him I I, to be honest with you I think Auburn wants Ole Miss a whole lot more than Ole Miss wants Auburn that's going to be interesting and then there's the annual uh, rivalry game they get Vanderbilt at home I don't know that's a good thing either the good thing is they get the bye week before they play Auburn but you start looking at this thing here you know what what kind of shape mentally is Ole Miss going to be in after that four game stretch? What if you lose three of four? What if you lose all four? And then you got Vanderbilt coming in, and you got fans checking out. That could be tough. Texas A&M has to go to Oxford. I'm not a big believer in A&M. Uh, I know they have some offensive weapons, but it's not one of these teams you look at that's just going to just bowl you over. Then you got to go to Georgia. Then you get Louisiana Monroe, then you get Mississippi State. So you start running through this thing here. And, again, I, I said last year, the day after the Egg Bowl, we're going to win again next year. So you start running through the numbers here, and you start saying, okay, there's a lot of toss-up games. They should go 4-0 in the non-conference. Should. But they may go 3-1. I think Tulane beating them would be an upset. But I think if they go tiptoe through the tulips down there at Tulane, they're going to get beat. But let's give them benefit of the doubt. So you know what? They're going to win that game. Then you start looking through this and say, okay, can they go 4-4 and in the SEC? Well, you got Alabama, LSU, Georgia. I'm counting all those as losses. Aren't you? I know Ole Miss people say, oh, we'll get LSU up here. I I don't know. I think LSU, again, is going to be really good. And teams that have proven they had the mobile quarterback have given Ole Miss some trouble. And now you're even taking more speed off the field. I think Jaden Daniels could have a big day. You know, we'll see. All right, so – Right out of the gate, that's three losses in the SEC, in my estimation. And again, the way Arkansas's positioned on the schedule, I think it takes you to four. And then I think Mississippi State beats them. And then you got some toss-ups out there. What happens with AM? What happens with Auburn? And so I, I think Ole Miss is a seven and five team. That's what I think. I think State's eight and four. I think the difference in, you know, eight and four, possibly nine and three, if we upset somebody. But I think the winner of the Egg Bowl is 8-4 and four and ends up in a Florida Bowl game. I think the loser of the Egg Bowl ends up 7-5 and five and probably somewhere in Tennessee. That's how I see it. But I, we always talk about Ole Miss getting a break in the schedule. Yeah, they scheduled really well the non-conference here, but this is, this is a brutal schedule from a conference standpoint. And not just because of the fact that you get Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. It's the way that the whole thing is laid out. And, again, the good thing is you get that bye week before Auburn, but, man, you know as well as I do, Hugh Freeze will have those kids sky high for that ball game. Absolutely sky high. Uh, they get UL Monroe before the Egg ball. We get Southern Miss. That's a win for them, right, the fact that they get a team that will likely be pretty pedestrian. We're going to get a Southern Miss team that's going to have a bunch of former Bulldogs on that team, right? We're going to be in a much more difficult fight, I think, November 18th than Ole Miss will be. But, uh, yeah, I think they're 7-5. and five. And I, I think, again, they may have a better team this year and a worse record when you begin to look at the fact there's so many questions and changes on defense and the fact that there's uh, no appreciable depth at wide receiver and the fact that I think teams will defense Ole Miss much differently uh, they will line up and they will do their best to make somebody besides Quinshon Judkins beat them and sometimes he's going to beat them anyway but man the way this schedule is laid out is it's tough it, it really is and I don't know that anybody's really commented on that the way they probably should have but um, it's a very, very difficult schedule. It, it, it really is. I mean, anytime you play in the SEC West, there's never any easy years. But the fact that you add Georgia in the mix and then you get Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, back-to-back-to-back weeks, that's tough. That's really, really tough. I don't care who you are where you're from. Uh, but that's how I see the schedule playing out. Maybe you see it differently. That's okay. I'm sure there are Ole Miss people are going to tell me they're going to win an AFL championship. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I'll have whatever you're having. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a team that's got some question marks but should be, should be a bowl team, should be a winning team and uh, need to win some toss-up games. You know, I, I would not be surprised, especially if there is an injury. And, and God forbid there is. You never, you never want that for any young person. But if they can stay healthy, it's probably a 7-5 and five team. But you start working through this and you say, you know what, what if Judkin gets a little bit banged up? And, uh, like, see, so he gets a high ankle sprain or something, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, road games at Auburn, it's tough. I mean, you know, where are the sure wins in the SEC? Well, there really are any. And can you really count Vanderbilt as a sure win after what you saw down the stretch last year with them beating Kentucky and Florida? And, yes, the game's in Oxford, and, and Ole Miss should be able to handle them from an athletic standpoint. It should, shouldn't be any question, but you know, they're, they're going to come out and play hard. And really the bigger issue there is just, you know, what kind of physical toll does that take on a team that doesn't have a lot of depth? You know, I know you some, you got a full roster, but you don't have a lot of SEC experience, especially uh, in that secondary. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how things go. Again, I, I, I could, would not be surprised to look up at the end of the year an Ole Miss playing for ball eligibility against Mississippi State if some things go wrong. But with Judkins a stud back, keep him healthy, and I think they're a solid ball team. That's how I see it. You may disagree. All right, if you had not done so, go to WhenTheBottomFalls.com. WhenTheBottomFalls.com and uh, pre-order my newest book. It's a book about my life, my recovery, uh, kind of about how I got sober and clean and how I've stayed sober and clean now over 31 years. And uh, if you're a fan of mine, I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, the most personal thing I've ever written If you're a person in recovery, I think you'll enjoy it. If you know someone that perhaps has struggled with addiction, I think that they will enjoy it. I know their family like you will enjoy it because it is a story of hope. It's a story of honesty and hope. And so uh, if you love me, please buy the book. And uh, pre-sales are going really good. Uh, But we will uh, have this book out to you next month sometime. We'll get an official release date soon. But uh, if you would, go ahead and pre-order that. That would be awesome. While you're there, you can pick up all my sports books are there. That's uh, Alpha Dog, Stark Villains, Flim Flam, and Dog Pile. I, matter of fact, I went and saw an insurance agent yesterday, and he had uh, three, three of my books that didn't have Dog Pile. Every bulldog needs Dog Pile. No matter how you feel about the current state of the program, we won a national championship, and I wrote a book to commemorate one of the greatest moments in the history of our university. Even if you're not a reader, you deserve to have that book. Order that book, put it in your man cave, put it on your coffee table, put it on your mantle. You'll always have it to go back and read the story, the story of Rowdy Jordan and Tanner Allen and so many great players, Will Bednar, Landon Sims, that uh, elevated us to the top of the college baseball mountain. All right, let's uh, talk a little football here, Mississippi State football style. How about that? Um, We spent a lot of time talking about other people, but uh, enjoyed practice yesterday. Now, we have no media availability as far as observing practice today but we will speak with Coach Zach Arnett following practice. And, and Zach is very no-nonsense. It's funny, too, like with Leach, you always want you didn't want to go viral for asking a silly question that, that you know, elicited some, uh, you know, response that went viral, right? Uh, so with Zach, it's different. You know, you ask a silly question, you kind of get the answer you deserve, right? Um, and there have been some silly questions already asked in camp, and you can tell Zach is a little bit uh, – Perturbed at times about that, but listen, the media is still in uh, pre-camp too. We're still in preseason form. We're not. Thankfully, I hadn't asked anything that uh, has, has has elicited a smart retort from one Zach arnett But uh, he's always locked and loaded, as uh, our friend Robbie Falk can tell you. Uh, you know, Robbie interviewed him on the radio a while back, and it just seemed like I thought, Robbie Robbie was always like on his on his toes a little bit. But uh, nevertheless. Uh, give me a few observations yesterday um okay so Freddie roberson we talked about him yesterday a little bit had a chance to meet him and interview him matter of fact we wrote 10 articles yesterday at jeanspage.com 10 go to jeanspage.com most of them are free nobody's giving you better coverage than we are matter of fact got video interviews with every player that appeared yesterday go watch it. all about three minutes not too long not too short kind of whet your appetite without getting too full Uh, You go check that out for free at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. But uh, Roberson, really impressed with him. You'd expect him to be a mature guy. He is a senior. And uh, he doesn't look to be a guy that looks to be a fish out of water. You know, you'd expect, oh, well, he's coming up from the FCS. It's true. And it's not like he's leaving – Eastern Washington and going to Washington State. He's going to the Southeastern Conference and the SEC West. He looks the part. And I don't just mean like physically standing there. I mean, just watching him move around and compete against the secondary, he looks like what we needed him to look like. Good route runner, should be a very productive player in this scheme. Also, a physical guy that can help out on the perimeter as a blocker. Uh, I, I was impressed with his ability to communicate yesterday, he was very articulate very comfortable, very personable. And, again, you'd expect that from a senior. But he doesn't appear to be a guy that is intimidated by the move or the moment. And I think this is going to be a guy that we're going to be really excited to have on the program, uh, on our on, on the football field. One of the guys that really stood out to me yesterday, and we got an elongated period yesterday. Sometimes we get 20 minutes and like half of it is the young guys. Yesterday we got to see a lot. And uh, a lot of second-team offense red zone drills. One of the first plays that we saw was a halfback dive. Jeffrey Pippen just absolutely powers his way in. A lot of people are talking a lot about the fact that Jeffrey Pippen is one of the tougher guys on the team. Taylorsville, Mississippi, stand up, right? This is a kid that is going to help us. Is he a short yardage back? Is he just a complimentary back this year? I don't know. But I know Simeon Price told us yesterday that Jeffrey Pippen is one tough hombre. I thought we saw that yesterday in short yardage. This is a guy with a nose for the goal line. Uh, You know Woody can get it done, but it's nice to have options, right, because you don't want to telegraph plays. Oh, they're bringing marks in. They're going to do the halfback dive. You know, now you can do some different things. I think Jeffrey Pittman is a really, really nice addition to this team. Um, Mike Wright, though. The big question with Mike Wright is like, okay, well, what role does he play? I think he is kind of a red zone specialist, kind of a short – uh, yardage specialist we're going to play him some for sure but the thing that i can tell you right now in the event that will rogers got banged up and maybe we'll let missing time maybe just misses like a quarter or misses a game or whatever uh, or, or half or god forbid it's more serious than that mike wright is a good enough quarterback to get us to a bowl game. Like if we had to go start a game right now, like if we found out that Will Rogers somehow was ineligible, which would never happen. I'm not trying to project that. But if for some reason Will couldn't go in years past, that might have been the end of our season. Would Mike Wright, I don't believe that it would be. And again, we wish the best help for Will Rogers, obviously. Our best chance to win is with Will Rogers under center. But after watching Mike Wright in practice this spring, this fall, I'm comfortable saying, you know what, he's not the passer Will is. But he may be the competitor Will is. And I think that he is a guy, too, that adds a different element to the offense. And so, like, if, if God forbid something should happen, the season doesn't end. I think Mike Wright is a better than serviceable backup. I think Mike Wright is a really good backup. And he said, you know what, Steve, he was an SEC starter. He should be. Absolutely. And we're grateful to have him. He made some plays yesterday. We talked about ball handling earlier with uh, Jackson Dart. He did some things yesterday uh, with, with his fakes, carrying out his fakes, and that kind of stuff that basically freed up his receivers. And there were a couple times that uh, he found the tight ends on corner routes wide open. You know, this is a guy, too. You have to respect the running ability of Mike Wright because if you don't, And you can ask the University of Florida, Mike Wright will embarrass you. So we spend a lot of time talking about Will, as we should. He is the quarterback of our program. But I think Mike Wright deserves a little praise. Mike is not going to catch Will, but they're both going to play. And I like the fact that uh, Wright gives you a different dimension. It's not like it's Will Rogers understudied that's going to come in the game it's a different skill set. So it makes the offense more multiple. I like to get more and more the more times that I see Mike in practice. Uh, Creed Whittemore. You a know, kid enrolled back in January, and he was uh, one of the you know, players we praised a lot in the spring. Man, I love this kid's attitude. I-, I do. This is a competitor. Like yesterday, so he runs his route, and he's on the opposite field of the action, carries it out just as if he is the intended receiver. And then we throw the ball to the other side of the field, and then Antonio Harmon reels in a touchdown, and that's another walk and mismatch right there. I think Harmon's going to thrive in this scheme. I really do. I think he. F- I think he fits what Barbe wants at the position. But as soon as we score, Whittemore is yelling and screaming and beating his chest. It's practice, man. And this kid is out there playing with the same intensity you'd expect him to play if it's fourth and goal at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Those are kids you win with. And people were like, well, you know, Creed Whittemore, this. The kid is legit, and he's going to wear 85. No, it's not Austin Williams back for a ninth year. No, it's Creed Whittemore. But this kid has that primal instinct for competition. You can just tell. There are some guys that have that, you know, guys that would switch your throat over a game of Chinese checkers, turn the table over on you in a game of Uno. That's him. He is that guy. There is an intensity there that I think this team needs at times. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to the Jeffrey Pittman thing and talking about intensity. When Pittman powered into the end zone over a defender, the entire offensive sideline rushed the field. Everybody rushed the field. Now, it's one thing to get all up and down and everything else, but to recognize a play like that from a newcomer, what they're recognizing is, hey, this new guy can help me win. This is what I want to see. I know what to expect from Woody Marks, and I think I've got a good handle on what Simeon Price wants to do and can do. But all of a sudden, Jeffrey Pittman, you know, a guy that's a, you know, one of the top junior college running backs in the country last year, A guy that may be fourth on the depth chart is out there powering over somebody and plowing his way into the end zone and then his teammates all respond favorably. That's winning football right there. That is absolutely winning football and that's what they're recognizing. This guy can help this team. And what do you think that means for Jeffrey Pittman? Creed Whittemore, part of that part of that celebration those kind of things are are interesting to me we've talked extensively about issues with safety now we didn't have the benefit of isaac smith going through spring practice which might be a good thing for bulldog wide receivers may not be a great thing for coach uh, brett Dewhurst or zach arnett because they probably would already have one question answered and that's that isaac smith's a dude yesterday there was a little bit of a uh uh, a, a route up the uh, the left hash jordan mosley made a very tough catch and then isaac smith separated him from the football it was the hit of the day to what we saw and isaac smith was fired up and rather than go over there and glare over his teammate and of course they go out there and check him he's fine he's fine everybody's good but isaac smith has length and instincts that you can't coach You can talk about getting off the hash, and you can talk about playing the deep third, and you can talk about getting downhill and all these other cliches and things like that and all these things that people say to make themselves sound intelligent. Isaac Smith is a football player. Isaac Smith is a future NFL guy, provided he stays healthy and continues to work hard. But based on what we have seen in the limited time we've been in pads, this is the guy you've been waiting for at safety. He said, well, Steve, we've had some really good ones. Yeah, we have. We have. We've had some really good ones. I don't know if we've had a great one since 2018, though, when Jonathan Abram was here. We've had some good ones. But we haven't had that enforcer in the secondary that can make the big hit in a legal way. And that's what we saw yesterday. Big hit right to the chest. Didn't lower the crown of the helmet. Did it legally. You can tell he's coaching. He's not just out there running around like a, you know, like a crazy person just trying to destroy people. He's making the big leg within the framework of the rules. That's a kid that's been well-coached. And that's a kid too that knows to trust his instincts. And so we've talked again extensively about problems in safety. Early returns are good. Now there's gonna be some growing pains with a guy like Isaac Smith. He's gonna get beat over the top. He's gonna fall for play action. He's gonna bite on the underneath cross and let a guy slip behind him, and his corner is going to be trailing, and we're going to probably get beat on the play. But Isaac Smith is a guy in the years to come that is going to be a player that other teams are going to try to avoid. That kid can really play football. And, again, we haven't even played a real game. And, again, we didn't get to see him in the spring. He was in a sling. Saw him at Duty Noble Field at times eating some barbecue one-handed. But to see him out there and his element and see how smooth and easy it kind of looks for him, it's encouraging, very encouraging. Sean Preston, I thought, had a decent day yesterday. Um, probably the best offensive play of the day, though, is uh, we ran a, you know, I guess it was a switch route concept. Again, I don't know the play calls. But uh, Tulu got behind a couple defenders, and uh, Will Rogers threw a about as good a pass as you could possibly throw, and then Tulu runs, just separates, and runs right under it, um, and beats double coverage. And and yeah, that's gonna happen. People say, oh, well, Steve, they're beating our DBs. Uh, Tulu's gonna beat all of them. Okay, not just ours, but everybody else's. There are gonna be few teams in this conference that are gonna be able to slow Tulu Griffin down. Just go ahead and get ready for it. Again, we gotta keep him healthy. But we all agree Tula Griffin has been underutilized at Mississippi State. He's going to get a chance this year to be a star. And there are going to be a lot of people in this league that are going to jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, yeah, this is the kick returner kid. Well, you know, yeah. Tula Griffin is a wide receiver that also returns kicks. There's a lot more to him than just fielding kicks and running wide open down the field. This guy has some uh, – he's got some shake with him, as the old ball coach used to say. There's a lot of fun ahead with Tulu Griffin. But uh, we'll have uh, practice again today. We'll come back on Friday and uh, kind of recap what we've learned. And uh, we're running out of media availability as far as, like, uh, observation periods. They're going to be at the farm today. And so we're going to meet them uh, at, uh, back at the uh, complex, and we'll do our interview with Zach Arnett. And you can find that in its entirety over at jeanspage.com uh, this afternoon or evening. So when uh, maybe you polished off dinner or whatever. And uh, you want to see what the Bulldogs are up to today, you can uh, hear what Zach Arnett had to say for free at jeanspage.com. Be sure and come check us out. Listen, uh, check in with us again on Friday. If you're not a member of Jeans Page, you certainly should be. And uh, great football show today, and we'll be back on Friday. You start looking ahead and thinking about the other teams we need to cover. and uh, We're we're running through it, guys. We're running through it. And pretty soon we'll be talking about Bulldog opponents, and we're almost there. And, again, let me remind you, Get your honeydew stuff done so you can enjoy college football guilt-free, all right? Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.